You're listening to the latest preaching from Brixham Community Church. Last week we were looking at Psalm 146 and I gave you seven reasons, was it, for praising the Lord. Similar kind of theme this morning, but actually my text is a single word, the last word in the Bible, Amen. That's the text, okay? So I want to consider its meaning and use, the value of saying it, things we can't say amen to or shouldn't say amen to and finish up with the greatest amen of all well it's a sort of a christian word isn't it or we think of it as such but of course uh, it actually goes back to the old testament so it's a hebrew word as well a jewish word it's a hebrew word which means basically so be it and it carries over into the new testament where jesus says Amen, amen, I say to you. Now, older people remember that as verily, verily, I say unto you. Um, But uh, modern translation, NIV, truly, truly, I tell you. Okay, and in the Greek it is amen, amen. Okay, Uh, so I tell you the truth. That's the idea behind it. Jesus uses it at the end of the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, verse 13. And as you all know, the church has used it traditionally at the end of prayers. All prayers, probably. But in New Testament times, it may well have been a spontaneous interjection in the middle of prayers, which is more like our style of things, and certainly... uh, Well, as you know, many of you, I grew up in a Baptist church and the only time anyone said amen in those days in that church was at the end of a prayer. And then um, we were seeking for the baptism in the Holy Spirit and received that in a Pentecostal church. And uh, wow, there were many, many more amens. (laughs) And uh, not just at the end of the prayer, but in the middle of prayers and so on. And uh, you could kind of think, well, this is a little bit off-putting. Why are people doing this? But actually, it's quite inspiring to hear people saying amen. So, uh, well, I think the Pentecostal practice of saying amen in the middle, or as some of us were in the various things that have gone on already this morning, saying our amen, some of us perhaps very quietly, some of us even silently, but it was there in our hearts and others a little bit more noisily. And uh, perhaps I should say, um, another way of saying amen is just, well, what I do is, yes! Because, you know, when you say yes, you're agreeing with it. You So be it. I, yeah, I want that to happen. I agree with that. Yes! So, you know, it doesn't have to be the word amen. There's nothing magical about it. Um, but it's the idea of vocalizing uh, your agreement with what is being said or done. Okay, and the biblical basis for this um, idea of it perhaps being in the middle is in uh, 1 Corinthians 14 verse 16. I'm sure there are other verses that might back this up, but um, I like this one. If you are praising God with your spirit, now Paul makes that clear 
in the previous verses that that means in speaking in tongues. If you are praising God, so it's a continuous thing. So if while you are praising God in tongues, how can one who finds himself among those who don't understand say amen to your thanksgiving? So the suggestion is that they are wanting to be saying amen while you are giving thanks, whether it be in English or uh, through speaking in tongues since he doesn't understand what you were saying. So uh, this isn't a talk about speaking in tongues, it's simply to stress that while you're praising God, people might want to say amen to it. Don't have to wait to the end, you can say it in the middle. So there's just a little bit about its meaning and use from uh, the New Testament. Uh, Let's talk a bit about the value of saying amen. Uh, by the way, if you want to say amen, that's all right by me. Um, certainly in the Hebrew and the Greek, it would have been amen, okay. But um, in English, a lot of people say amen. And, uh, you know, we understand what it means. And certainly God understands what it means. So that's fine. All right. And sometimes I say one and sometimes I say the other, I must admit. Okay, so... I'm going to give you five points on this, just quickly. Um, the value of saying amen. The first one is it helps us to concentrate. It is actually quite easy, and people often say, oh, our concentration period isn't as great, and preachers ought to be preaching shorter sermons because modern people can't concentrate for so long. Well, I can't believe that the human brain has changed that much over the last uh, 80 years that I've been alive and uh, one of the things that will help you concentrate is by actually thinking about what's being said and saying an amen to it all right amen oh yes that's it good okay so it helps you to concentrate on what's being said in a prayer or in a praise or indeed in a sermon and we are certainly not against people saying amen in the middle of the preaching. And that brings me to my second point, that it encourages the one who is praying or preaching or praising. And there are some guys who are so used to hearing amens in their churches that when they go to a church where it's absolutely stony silent, they just feel, are these people alive? Well, of course, they are alive, hopefully, but um, <laughs> it doesn't feel like it. So to get a response is good. Now, admittedly, there are cultural variations on this. And uh, uh, I've been to Finland quite a lot. And the Finns, would you believe it, are much, much more reserved than we Brits are incredibly more and to get an amen out of a fin is pretty amazing to get any response at all even facially you know they sit there and you know I've, I've preached to perhaps a couple of thousand fins in one meeting and <laughs> they sit there with deadpan faces you know and afterwards they come up afterwards and say um, if they speak English they will say Thank you very much, brother, for your inspiring word. <laughs> okay. 
Um, and some of our Scottish friends are a little bit like that, actually, as well. In the northeast of Scotland, I've discovered similar kind of deadpan faces. All right. Well, I'm glad we're not quite like that here. But we are a little bit more reserved than, let us say, some of our friends from an African background. And I just love being at African meetings. The Pentecostal World Conference in Johannesburg uh, in 2004, we, we were at it. Wow, it was glorious. And it seemed as though even the Pentecostals from Finland were able to enter in <laughs> to the exuberance of the Africans. But it is actually quite encouraging. And I'm glad you're laughing because that's encouraging me. That's a kind of it's a response. It's good. It's good for preachers, and it's good for people who are praying to hear people um, saying an amen. Okay, and then third reason, uh, it expresses our unity, because in a sense, um, when you are saying amen, you are saying, I agree with that. And so for all saying amen to what's being preached and what's being prayed, that is, can you see that? It's an expression of unity. It's a good thing. And people who come in can see that we are of one heart and one voice because we are voicing together our agreement with what's going on. And that's tied up very closely with point number four, that it confirms the validity of what's being said. So... Um, I like, as you know, an aged and experienced preacher of the word, I, I like to say a, a yes and an amen every now and again. I like to think that that encourages younger Christians, um, you know, oh, David Pett says it's all right, so perhaps it is. All right. Now, maybe that sounds a little bit arrogant, but having been a Bible college principal for 27 years, you know, I got into that way of thinking, that by saying amen in college chapel when a student was preaching, and then, oh yeah, he, he, he's agreeing with it. Okay, well, I'm all right. Um, so I think that's good. And actually, it's not just me who can do that. We can all do that, you see. So it, it does confirm the validity of what's being said or at least your agreement with what's being said um, and finally on this section the value of saying amen it means we can all give vocal expression to our worship um, see there isn't actually time for all of us to say a prayer um, now some of you use that as a bit of an excuse and you never say a prayer out loud in church because you think it's not you and I want to remind you that 1 Corinthians 14, 26 does say, how is it then, brothers and sisters, when you come together, every one of you should have something? Okay, a tongue or a revelation or a prophecy or whatever it is. So we are actually meant to participate. And uh, I'm glad actually when we're in smaller meetings, you do do that. So that's good. And there isn't time for all of us to get involved perhaps in that way on a Sunday morning. But it would be good if a few more did, I think. Although um, it's great the number of you who do. Um, so saying amen means you can give vocal expression to your worship. Now, I'm going to move on to a, a section you perhaps might not expect. Um, things we can't say amen to. Well, you're expecting it because I told you at the beginning that I was going to do that, but you might not have been expecting. Now, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, the Old Testament written largely in Hebrew, some of it in Chaldee, um, uh, translated into Greek and commonly used among the Greek-speaking Jews of 
the time of our Lord Jesus. Okay, so that's the Septuagint. Um, it translates the word amen into Greek as genoito, which in Greek literally means let it happen. Okay, it comes from a verb, ginomai, which means to happen. Okay, so genoito is let it happen. And the negative of it is meganoito, let it not happen. Okay, and Paul uses this expression, meganoito, three times in the New Testament. And in the AV, it's translated, God forbid. You familiar with that? Those of you that like the old AV? Okay, God forbid. Well, actually, the word God isn't there. It's just this Greek expression, meganoito, let it not happen. So NIV translates it, by no means, or on one occasion it translates it, absolutely not. Okay? And there are some things that we can't say amen to. We have to say, well, I think one modern translation, I think J.B. Phillips, if that's still modern these days, um, uh, perish the thought. That's quite a good one. You get the feel of it, don't you? Okay. All right. So, three things that we mustn't say amen to. And the first one is false doctrine or bad teaching. All right. So, for this one, we go, we're looking at the three references of Paul where he says meganoito, where he uses this expression. And the first one is in Romans 6, verses 1 and 2, where he says, Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. I can't say amen to that. Now, in what sense is that false doctrine? Well, you see, in the previous chapter, in the last few verses, in fact, chapter 5, verse 20, Paul has said, where sin increased, grace increased more and more. How wonderful. And he's talking about the wonderful goodness of God, the grace of God. And he said, although we are such sinners and sin was getting worse and worse, but God, because he's so loving and caring by his grace, well, it's, it just increased in measure with the sin. In fact, the grace exceeds the sin. What a wonderful truth about our salvation that is. However bad you have been, God's grace is good enough to cover it and forgive you. Because he sent Jesus to die on the cross to save you. How absolutely wonderful. But the danger is that people were thinking, oh well, <laughs> I, I can go on sinning then. Because the more I sin, there'll be more grace. And Paul says, no, I can't say amen to that. And that doctrine has a, a technical name called antinomianism, which basically has got the idea of against law, lawlessness, antinomianism. I do what I like. Okay. So you, you mustn't say amen to any false doctrine. Okay. And I have to say, some people I've experienced, I'm not talking about Brixham Community Church, because you're all better taught than that, I, I hope. But um, some people I've experienced say amen just when the preacher gets excited. 
And it's just a kind of an emotional outburst. Amen, amen, amen. Without actually thinking about what the guy is actually saying. I've heard people talk, I have to say it, absolute rubbish. And people have said, oh, amen, hallelujah. Why? Because it gets them tingling. Well, you see, it's not a question of somebody whipping you up emotionally and getting you tingling getting the adrenaline flowing, uh, that can happen, you know, it can happen at a football match. Yeah. Okay. So um, think about what you say amen to. So don't say amen to false doctrine. Second thing, you mustn't, and closely connected with the last one, you mustn't say amen to unchristian behavior. Romans 6 again, verse 15 this time. Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. I can't say amen to that, says Paul. See, people were saying, and I even remember as a teenager, uh, jokingly, I confess, making excuses about being a bit naughty. Um, you know, <laughs> I would say to my parents, well, I'm not under law, I'm under grace. <laughs> yes. Well, the, you know, the pastor had been preaching, we're not under law, but under grace. So, oh, this was my excuse for doing one or two not very naughty things okay uh, Paul is saying no you mustn't say that you mustn't say I'm not under law I'm under grace um, so as I've said it's clearly connected with the previous point bad doctrine produces bad living and as Christians we mustn't condone sin in any shape or form ah now, we may not say amen to it with our lips, but just a little challenge here. Is it possible that we condone it with our lives? Hmm. Our actions belie our words. Hmm. So we mustn't say amen to Christian behavior. And the third one, and I'm hurrying on, we mustn't say amen to the rejection of any part of God's word. Now, this is a bit technical, and we find it in Galatians 3 and verse 21. And there Paul says, is the law opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. Meganoita, I can't say amen to that is the law opposed to the promises of God and I'm bringing out of that this idea that some parts of God's word aren't necessary you've got the law and you've got the promises now we actually need the whole Bible <coughs> now I'm going to try and clarify that and as I reread Galatians 3 yesterday, I realized actually that it is a bit complicated. It's a bit hard to follow Paul's reasoning. So I had a look in the Message Bible. And I found that even harder. Now, <coughs> to be honest, sometimes I think the message makes it more complicated than the plain text of the Bible. But some of you like the message, I know. Let me point out to you that it is one man's, in many cases, very good interpretation of what the text of Scripture is saying. Okay, so it does have to be weighed carefully. 
and sometimes it's very good. Think of it more as a commentary on what the Bible is saying rather than the Bible itself, and then you won't go far wrong with it. And so I looked at what the message had to say, and I thought, yeah, that's, that is actually quite helpful. And I typed out my own summary of what I think Eugene Peterson was saying uh, in the message as he's uh, giving us this version of Galatians 3. I'm going to read to you uh, what I believe Paul is saying here. In Genesis, God made a promise to Abraham that he would be the father of a great nation and that from that nation would come a descendant, singular, through whom all the nations of the world would be blessed. That descendant was Christ. By faith in him, all people, not just Jews, but Gentiles as well, would be able to come into right relationship with God, just as Abraham had been justified because of his faith. 470 years later, Paul says, God gave the law to Moses. But that law could in no way annul or negate the promise God made to Abraham. God had made a promise to Abraham 470 years previously. The law of Moses could not in any way overturn that. Paul sees this law as a kind of addendum or codicil to a covenant. And it was given to make the Jewish people aware of their inability to keep it and show them and us the need of a saviour, Christ. That's why the law was given. So the law does not negate the promise both the law and the promise had a purpose. But the promise is paramount. It came before the law and it lasts beyond the law because the law is now fulfilled in Christ. So, what's being said here, and one could develop that whole line of thought in a whole new message, and we don't have time to do that this morning. I simply want to say we need both the promises and the law. The law to show us our need of a saviour. We're not under the law. We're not bound by the regulations of the law of the Old Testament. We are bound by the law of love to love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and our neighbour as ourself. But we needed the law to show us our ability, inability to keep it and our need of a saviour. And of course, if the law is to show us our need, the promise was to meet our need. Hallelujah. The promise of the descendant from Abraham who would come and die on the cross and fulfill all the law and save us from our sins. So, we need all of God's word. We can't say amen to the rejection of any part of it. Why am I saying that? Well, particularly in a day when many preachers are preaching that we don't need to believe all the Bible. 
We believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God and we need it from Genesis through to Revelation. Amen. Yes, let's have an amen. Good. Which brings me, in conclusion, to the greatest amen of all. I am not referring to the majestic climax of Handel's Messiah, nor yet to the thundering voices of the multiplied millions of the redeemed as they worship in heaven. But I'm referring to him who is the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of the God's creation. Revelation 3.14. Jesus is the great Amen. Strange. In what ways is Jesus the Amen? Four things. Firstly, he is the personification of truth. This verse says he is the faithful and true. He's the personification of truth. You remember when he was standing before Pontius Pilate, Pilate said, what is truth? Not realizing that truth was standing before him in human form. Jesus, the truth. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. I studied philosophy at university. And one of the things you study in philosophy is uh, what is the meaning of truth? And someone once said, philosophy has a continuous history of over 3,000 years now. It is questionable whether the philosophers have yet decided what needs to be discussed, let alone the answer to those things. I say an amen to that statement. You want to know truth, get to know Jesus. He is truth. He's the personification of truth. Secondly, he's the epitome of faithfulness. He is the faithful and true. Jesus was true to his father. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane? When he was facing the cross? Was it absolutely necessary? Father, if it's possible, let this pass from me. I don't want to go that route. Nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. You can't get more faithful than that. Faithful to his people. Some time ago I, I preached a message, I don't think it was that long ago, I preached a message here on God is faithful. Gave you seven scriptures where it clearly states God is faithful. Well, we won't rehearse that one this morning, it will take too long, but... Uh, God is faithful. And so how we love to sing, great is your faithfulness. Oh God, my Father. Jesus is the epitome of faithfulness. He's faithful to his word. Our daughter, Sarah, who incidentally you might be interested to know, is now on the leadership team at the Exeter Riverside Church, just taken up that appointment uh, this week. Today, in fact. Uh, she sent me a text which came from our grandson, Reuben, who's at university in Leeds. And uh, he's at a, a, a Christian leaders, Christian union 
um, leadership conference and he, he texted her this quote. I, <laughs> have a think about it. We don't have to worry about Jesus keeping his word because his word keeps everything else. Have a think about that one. I like it. You don't have to worry about Jesus keeping his word. It's his word that keeps everything going. It's his word that's keeping you. Don't worry about it. Okay, he is the epitome of faithfulness. Thirdly, he is the fulfillment of all God's promises. 2 Corinthians 1.20, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. And I've said this to you many times, but this verse doesn't mean that every promise you can find in the Bible is yours because you're a Christian, because there are some promises that were made to specific individuals at a specific time for a specific purpose, and they're not to be generalized to everybody. But it's the major promises concerning the nature of God and his goodness and his salvation and the gift of the Holy Spirit and eternal life that we have. These are the promises of God that we can say amen to. But let me just point out that it's actually good for us to say amen to God's promises. See, if you believe it, you will say amen to it. When you read a promise of scripture and it comes alive to you and you know that this clearly is a promise for all of us or, or specifically that it's a promise to you because God's lighting it up to you, well, say amen to it. Don't just say, oh, that's nice, you know. But receive it because you see, with the heart man believes but with the mouth confession is made, the scripture says. Vocalize your faith in the promises of God. And finally, Jesus is the Amen because he is the destiny of all existence. In the beginning was the Word, John tells us in John 1 and verse 1, and he's talking about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. I would say that Jesus is the first Word. Doesn't it tell us in Revelation that he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I'm sure you know that Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. Jesus is the first word, Alpha. But thank God, he is the Omega. He is the last word. He has the final say. He is the destiny of all existence. He is the beginning and the ending, the first and the last, the one who was and is and is to come, the Almighty, Revelation 1.8. He is the Amen. Jesus, Amen. So let him be forever and ever. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Jesus is the amen. No wonder it's the last word in the Bible. God bless you. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit Brixham.Church.